But if you've been um, with us over recent weeks, you know that we've been tracking through the, the New Testament letter uh, to uh, Ephesians that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and the wider region. And we're at a bit in the passage, chapter 2, verse 11 to 18, where we're just kind of camping for a, for a little bit because we want to um, understand God's heart for one new humanity in Christ. But we don't just want to understand it theologically, we want to also apply it into our context. And so it's my privilege this week to speak into the subject of racism and racial diversity and racial reconciliation and God's heart to bring the nations of the world together through him. And even as we bring this subject to the fore and to the table, I recognize that this is an emotionally charged topic, that in this room and in our family, there will be a wide range of emotions as we talk about this today. There will be people who are feeling frustrated and angry. There will be people who are feeling hopeless and full of sorrow and pain. There will be some of you here who feel a sense of fatigue and weariness. Is this ever going to change? There will be some who are feeling anxious and fearful. And I just want to say, however you're coming to this conversation today, however you're approaching it, whatever your life experience is, it's okay to come however you're feeling. God actually gives us our emotions and we actually, get to, we actually get to submit them to him. And as we explore this topic today, my prayer is that we as a family would find uh, an understanding of the gospel, but we'd also find healing together. Okay, this is what, I'm, this is what I want to do. And my main aim really is to equip us as the people of God to live out the story of God when it comes to reconciliation and restoration and that we would carry in us as a people the same zeal and passion that God has to bring every tribe and tongue and language around his throne room, that we would carry that in us, that we would be a people who are passionate about enacting and modeling racial reconciliation in us as his people. The sad fact is, you don't have to look very far to see racism at play in our society. If you've been watching the news this week, you'll have seen details emerge of this man, Azim Rafiq, in the world of cricket. And suddenly racism has kind of uh, come in, embroiled into the world of cricket as he's been giving evidence to a group of MPs about systemic and institutional racism at the club that he plays, Yorkshire Cricket Club. And sadly, as, as he's brought this to the fore, what's happened is it's emerging that this is actually a wider issue in the game of cricket that something like I think a third of people from black and Asian backgrounds have experienced some form of racism in the game of cricket in the UK. That's just one example. If you think back to the summer, Euro 2020 slash Euro 2021. Yes, England, make it to the final. Will we end 55 years of hurt since winning a major football tournament? No, we lose on penalties yet again. And what happens? These three men here are the men who missed the penalty. Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, Bikayo Saka, and they are subject to the most outrageous and horrific racist abuse for their crime. They missed a penalty in the game of football. It's shocking, but sadly, it's perhaps not surprising. I remember talking to a number of uh, friends in this family from um, black and Asian backgrounds, and their reaction when these three guys missed a penalty was, I know what's coming. I know what's going to unfold tomorrow. Literally, pe people in this family were going to bed going, I know what me and my family are going to experience tomorrow 
Because these three men missed a penalty in a game of football. If we go back a few, uh, a year or so to May 2020, you'll remember the, the tragic murder of George Floyd in America. That really has shaped the debate in the Western world around racism and really, again, brought to, to the forefront the issues of racism in kind of our day and in, our, in the Western world. But these three examples are really just a couple of, of examples, really, of kind of higher profile racist issues in our culture. Really, they're just the tip of the iceberg. And the danger of looking at those is we kind of see racism maybe as like an out there issue. It's kind of, yeah, it's out there in society. There's a few examples of it. But there are people in this family, you are sat here today, and this is your lived reality every single day. That you face and you're growing up and you're raising children in a world that is fundamentally racist. And when you're experiencing racial injustice. As Nigel and I have had the privilege of gathering with a bunch of uh, people from, um, from other nations over the past uh, year or so, really in light of kind of George Floyd's death, we've heard stories of people in this family being racially abused on public transport, of children being mistreated purely because of the colour of their skin, of being overlooked in the workplace because of race, of people uh, in the uh, patients in the NHS asking staff, when are you going to go home back to your own country? Of one patient refusing treatment from someone because of the colour of their skin. We mustn't see racism as an out there issue. It's one that affects this family. It's both obvious and it's both subtle. It's both personal and institutional. And it exists at a societal level. And it's a lived reality for many of you in this family. And many of you are suffering and weeping because of it. And in a family, we suffer together. The call of scripture is that as the family of God, where one part of the body is suffering or experiencing hardship, the whole body suffers together. And to suffer together doesn't mean to feel sorry for somebody. It says, you are suffering, I am going to come and walk alongside you in your suffering. I'm going to accompany you and be the one who's alongside you as you suffer, I'm going to suffer with you. It's not something that's far off and distant, it's something that's close and personal. That we enter into someone else's world closely enough that we understand their suffering and pain and we say, hey, I'm here with you. Let me walk with you and accompany you in your suffering. Racism, in all its forms, does not belong in the kingdom of God. Let me say that so clearly. It has no part to play in the kingdom of Jesus. It's an injustice, and it grieves the heart of God, who created all men and all women equal in his image, to bear the image of God to the world. Therefore, when we see injustice, it grieves the heart of God, and it's to grieve our hearts too. And what we need if we're going to explore this issue well together is we need a firm foundation as the people of God. We need to understand God's heart for racial justice. And we need to see racial justice through his eyes. And how are we going to do that? As the people of God, we anchor ourselves on the word of God and on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We go into this book and we say, what is God's heart for racism? What has Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross? That means there is 
possibility of racial reconciliation in this world because of what Jesus Christ has done as revealed in the word of God. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to root ourselves in Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 18. We're going to bring out one or two things that, in the context of racial reconciliation, and then we're going to spill out into a wider understanding of Scripture, and we're going to see God's heart for racial reconciliation across the nations of the world and what it might mean for us today. So let's read Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 18. Therefore... Remember that at one time, you Gentiles, as far as I know, everyone in this room is a Gentile, I am not a Jew, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, therefore killing hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those of you who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Just a couple of things from this passage I just want to bring out. And I would encourage you to go and listen to what Nigel shared last week for a bit of a further unpacking of this passage. Our reconciliation to one another is only made possible because of our reconciliation to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, our reconciliation and that sense of our oneness is made possible because God has made us with him and forgiven us all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our wrongdoing. Because he shed his blood on the cross, the dividing wall between us and God has been removed, but the dividing wall between one another has also been torn down and removed. That it is only possible because of Jesus Christ. His work, his finished work on the cross is the foundation and the basis for our reconciliation to one another. And the second thing from this passage is that God, through Jesus Christ, has made that which was separate one. Four times in this passage, Paul says that he has made two or both into one. Look at this, verse 14. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15. He might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Verse 16. He might reconcile us both to God in one body. Verse 18. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus Christ has broken down the wall of hostility And he has created one new humanity in place of two. Where there was separation, God, through Jesus Christ, has made one new people group. One new humanity. And in this context, this passage applies to Jew and Gentile, of which there was historic separation and a literal and spiritual dividing wall. Our context is not Jew and Gentile. 
But the same principle applies that God has made one new humanity across racial, ethnic, and national divides. That God has won unity through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, and through the gospel of every tribe and tongue and people group. He has created one new man. Racial reconciliation and racial justice is at the heartbeat of God's plan for humanity. And as we have been reconciled to God and to each other, our job is now to be commissioned to go and live this out day to day in the world that we find ourselves in. And let me just explore. Nigel touched on this last week. He said this very clearly. Race, racism and racial justice is a gospel issue. It's not primarily a social or a political idea or ideology. Primarily, racial reconciliation is an issue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you three reasons today why racial reconciliation is a gospel issue. Number one, racial reconciliation is a gospel issue because we are called to see heaven on earth. Jesus Christ taught his followers to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer has a future dimension to it because one day Jesus Christ will return and make all things new and the fullness of his kingdom will come to pass but it also has a present reality here and now. We are called to say, God, what is true in heaven is to be true on earth here today in Swindon in 21st century. We are called to pray those things. And what does God say heaven is like when it comes to racial reconciliation? Revelation 7 tells us this. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every tribe, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Heaven is a place where every tribe and tongue and nation are in united worship around the throne room of Jesus Christ. No division, no hostility, no injustice, no oppression, unity of worship to the King of Kings. In this family and in this room today, I think there are people from these nations, correct me if I, get, if I miss one, Nigeria, Kenya, Ethiopia, Iran, Eritrea, the UK, Australia, Jamaica, Brazil, Fiji, Ghana, South Africa, Tanzania, India, the Philippines, Zimbabwe, Nepal, France, Pakistan, Colombia. Did I miss anyone? Poland. Tom, I'm so sorry. Anyone, anyone else? Any other nation represented? Canada. Goa. Okay. Anyone else? Barbados, yes. Trinidad and Tobago, what a joy, what a joy to be part of a church that has the nations of the world in it. Let me tell you, this is a little part of heaven on earth. Today, this is seeing in some small way the kingdom of heaven here on earth, and it's a sign and a wonder to the world. 
which longs for racial reconciliation but lacks the power to achieve it because it hasn't understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our future together, Gateway, is that every nation that we've talked about this morning, plus every other tribe that isn't even here, will worship around the throne for all eternity and declare salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Wow. That's our future together. And so when we worship together, when we live as family together across racial and ethnic divides, we are in some way enacting a kingdom of heaven on earth now as it is in heaven. So this issue, racial reconciliation, is actually about seeing heaven on earth. And it's possible because Jesus Christ has created one new humanity in himself. Number two, racial reconciliation is an issue of the gospel because God is a God of justice. The theme of justice runs right the way through the narrative of the Bible from page one to the end, okay? From Genesis 1 to Revelation, justice is a central narrative through the Bible. And it starts with Genesis 1, God made man and woman in his image equal. Sin has distorted it. Sin has broken down relationships between mankind. Sin has caused human oppression. But God set about a plan that in and through his people, he would bring about justice on the earth. So when he redeems his people out of slavery to Egypt, he gives them these set of laws, doesn't he, in Exodus and Leviticus. And so many of these laws are actually about justice for the oppressed, for the poor, for the foreigner, for the vulnerable, that God sets up a system which would mean that those that are at risk of being exploited are actually cared for and loved and lifted up right there in the heart of the Old Testament. And if you navigate your way through the Old Testament and you get to the prophetic writings of Isaiah and Jeremiah, so much of what they write about, I'm reading Isaiah in my devotion at the moment, so much of it is actually a call to justice. So much of it is recognizing that God's people had forgot to enact the justice that they were meant to be and live out. And it's a call to return to justice. Listen to this, Isaiah 1, 17. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Micah 6. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness. And these same prophetic writings that call Israel to live a life of justice also look ahead to the one person who is going to come to bring about true justice and true reconciliation. That person, Jesus Christ whose manifesto on this earth was to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. For the oppressed. Jesus confronted injustice. Jesus modelled a life of justice. And Jesus broke the chains of injustice when he took all of our sin and all of our wrongdoing and all of our rebellion onto himself on the cross. It is an injustice when people are treated differently because of the color of their skin. It is an injustice when the honor bestowed in every person and as an image bearer of God is stripped away because of ethnicities or because of national interests. It's an injustice when a society sets itself up to prefer one people group over another. That's injustice. The Lord is a God of justice. Isaiah 30 tells us that. The Lord is a God of justice. It grieves the heart of God. 
we, as the people of God, have the privilege of reflecting God to the world. Yes? We are called to follow the way of Jesus, to live how he lived. And so when we see racial injustice, we're called to speak up and speak out. We're called to confront injustice, just like Jesus did. Martin Luther King famously once said, a church that has lost its voice for justice has lost its relevance to the world. We are called to be a people who speak up and speak out against injustice, maybe in very subtle ways, maybe in one-to-one conversations, maybe in the workplace, maybe with friends and family where there's things that you go, that's not right. We're actually called to speak up and speak out. But like Jesus, we're also called to model a life of justice. Justice is actually a way of living. It's not just about proclaiming something. It's a way of life where we intentionally go towards those who might be oppressed in our society and say, we want to raise up. So in this context, going towards those from other nations who might be experiencing racial oppression and say, what might it look like for me to come alongside you, intentionally journey with you and see you lifted up and so that the honour and the glory that is in you might be fully revealed. So it's not just speaking justice, it's enacting and living a life of justice. And every time we speak up and speak out, every time we extend a hand of friendship across racial and ethnic divides, we're modelling justice and we're therefore modelling the kind of person that God is to the world around us. Point number three, racial reconciliation is a gospel issue because the church is a witness to the world. Ephesians 3 tells us this, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Our world may not believe this, and probably we struggle to believe this too, but the church, which is the body of Jesus on earth, is the place where racial reconciliation is and can be worked out. In fact, it's the only place where true reconciliation can be worked out. Jesus is the answer to racial injustice because only he can change hearts through the power of his gospel. Jesus is the answer to racism because he has broken down the wall of hostility. Jesus is the answer because he has made peace. And he's the answer because he brings redemption and forgiveness. As we see in Ephesians 2, the church is the demonstration of one new humanity in Christ. And so as we join together in this family, from many tribes and nations and backgrounds, it displays to the world who God is and what he is like. It displays to the world the uniting power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to break down walls of hostility. I don't think there is another context in our society where sat in one room on people from 15 to 20 different nationalities seeking to live lives as family together. You won't find that anywhere else. You won't find that at the tennis club down the road or the golf club. You won't find it down the pub. Yet in the church, we are a family from many tribes and backgrounds and stories. And it displays the glory of God the world, which is longing for answers, but doesn't know how to go about this. 
the demonstration of one new humanity in God is an amazing witness to who God is and of the reconciling power of Jesus Christ. So racial reconciliation is an issue of the gospel because we're called to see heaven on earth, because God is a God of justice, and because we are a witness to the world. I hope you see that this isn't a social or a political ideology. This is the heartbeat of Christianity. This is the heartbeat of what it looks like to be the people of God, that we get to model and enact and live out this wonderful family. I love this family. I love this family from many nations. What a privilege. What a joy. What a delight that we get to worship and express adoration to our king across national divides, across even language divides because of the surpassing greatness of what Jesus Christ has done. Amen? Now, I recognize that this is a massive topic, and there's no way I have fully done everything justice in 25 minutes. And many of you might be sat there thinking, right, what, what, what do I do now? What on earth do we do from this point onwards? I want to give you three really simple steps. Every, every follower of Jesus has a next step in Christ. Every disciple has a next step. Here are three really simple next steps that you can take. Number one, you can engage and learn on the topic of race and racial justice and racial reconciliation. Okay? You can go away and you can do some reading and learning and engage on this topic. And here I've got about 25 copies of some resources um, that we've prepared, um, just really looking, where do you start? Here are some great resources about where you can start. This has also gone out to small group leaders. Uh, this will also be on the Gateway Facebook group tomorrow. If we need more copies, I can print more now. This is a great place to start. Get hold of books and blogs and podcasts and things that say, I, I don't really feel like I understand this topic. Where, where do I start? Well, here's some great resources. I'll leave them on the stage. Come and grab one. If we run out, I can always do some more. But they are available through group leaders or through the Gateway Facebook group. Number two, come to the open forum that we're having on the 29th of November here at 7.30 in the evening. It's an open forum where we get to discuss and learn and listen and engage on the topic of race and diversity in the kingdom of God. It'll be a chance to hear stories. It'll be a chance to talk um, in, a, in a way that perhaps doesn't lend itself like this. We're just going to talk and pray and learn from each other and really say, how do we take ground on this together? It's an open forum. You are all invited. 7.30 here on the 29th of November. Thirdly, you can reach out to one person from another nation and extend a hand of friendship and say, hey, can we just grab a coffee or a walk or a lunch or a dinner and just hear one another's story and way of living? I, I read this recently. If we are going to transform the conversation about race, it will be at a relational level. The Christian approach is about dealing with relationships. If we try and change the system, we'll, ch we'll forget to change ourselves. If we change ourselves, we'll change the system. So reach out to one person from another nation. Studies have shown that we all prefer to make friends with people that are like us. That is a fact in our society. So we have to go against natural and personal preferences in this. We prefer to make friends with people that are the same age, the same gender, the same ethnicity to us. That's okay to recognize, but in the kingdom of God, we're called to lay down ourselves for the sake of other people and to lay down our personal preferences for the sake of the gospel. So let's be those who are intentional at going towards 
from other nations and backgrounds say, let's just find out each other's stories. Let's pray for each other. Let's love one another. And let's see what God does as he builds this beautiful, one new humanity in God. Amen?